Hi, welcome to episode 38 of Talk About the Passion. This is the first episode of 2019, and I'm glad to be back and hope to bring you some great episodes in the new year. Speaking of great episodes, my guest today is Kevin Grant, and the name of the episode is Break My Body, which some of you may know is the name of a Pixie song. There's some talk of the Pixies in this episode as well, has some talk about what it was like working with Steve Albini on a number of recordings with his band, The Hidden. The Hidden are no longer a thing, and as you'll hear in this episode, Kevin has been in a number of groups, uh, most notably Gas Kill. Uh, the story about his uh, first time meeting members of what would become Gas Kill is, uh, is pretty hilarious. Uh, he talks about the history of the New Bedford Club that was having uh, shows for a long time called the New Wave Cafe. There's a lot of information there. I didn't. I certainly didn't know about that place, and uh, so that's pretty cool to hear about that. Uh, Kevin's a pretty intense guy with some really intelligent and original takes on music, and the role it takes in his life, uh, as well as you know, out in the world. We talked for a little over two hours, and I think every part of this conversation uh, was pretty interesting. So sit back and enjoy this one. Uh, since it's been so long, and this is an extra long episode, I'm going to cut this short and uh, say a couple more things, and we'll get you in your way. I'm on social media. You can follow me, well, uh, this podcast, if you search for Talk About the Passion podcast on Facebook or Instagram. I have a Twitter account, but I rarely update anything on that, so uh, I don't know why I'm telling you that. Uh, check my social media pages for information about upcoming guests past guests and what they're up to. Uh, I do giveaways here and there. And uh, so please uh, follow me there to stay up to date with that kind of stuff. You can listen to me on all the normal places you listen to podcasts, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, uh, I'm on Spotify. If you or someone you know would like to be on an upcoming episode, please reach out to me on one of those uh, social media platforms and we'll, uh, we'll get a conversation going. Okay, enough of that. Let's get to today's episode, uh, 2019, episode 38, uh, Break My Body with Kevin Grant. Thanks for listening. So I'm here with uh, Kevin Grant. Uh, thank you for coming down here. No, thanks for having me. Uh, from New Bedford. Yep. And uh, you, you grew up there? Uh, I grew up in Fall River. Okay. Yeah. Um, let's see. Yeah, I've lived most of my life growing up in Fall River. I, mm. I only uh, moved away um, when I was 17. I, I moved out on my own to uh, go to college. Mm -hmm. I had um, started school early, so I went away to college kind of early. But uh, And then periodically moved back with mm -hmm. my parents and stuff like that. Yeah. But uh, I've been in, in New Bedford now for about 10 years. Yeah. On and off in New Bedford for a long time. But yeah. And, and for people that won't don't really know that area, what's what, Fall River? Uh, what, what kind of where to begin? Place is that? <laughs> um, it's it's a tough town. If to describe it to somebody without any reference points, it's a like a down down on its luck um, textile New England city. Um, unfortunately, it's, it's got a lot of lot of problems, um, a lot of unemployment, a lot of poverty. Uh, crime, drugs, etc. Um, however, it used to be one of the wealthiest cities in the world about a hundred um, to 150 years ago. Mm -hmm. And a lot of uh, a lot of the beauty of that time still exists there. Uh, so a lot of the grand old homes are there. Mm -hmm. um, some of them have been converted into apartments or are in disrepair. 
in a lot of the, the city parks. Um, Frederick Law Olmsted did a lot of the city parks. He mm -hmm. did um, Central Park in New York City. Right. Um, so there's a lot of beauty in the city, um, despite its problems. And it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a tough place. It, it's very similar to, you know, what you see in some of the Rust Belt cities. Right. Uh, very industrial, a lot mm -hmm. of abandoned buildings. Right. Um, the population is much lower than it once was at one point. And uh, it doesn't, unlike New Bedford, where I live now, where there's a, a thriving fishing industry, mm -hmm. there is no thriving industry in Fall River. Yeah. Um, leads, leads the state, I think, um, in, uh, in, in drug problems and right. stuff like that. Uh, but my family has, um, my, di my dad's side uh, came to Fall River in the 1800s from Ireland and have been mm -hmm. there ever since. Yeah. Um, so my family history goes way back. Um, so it's, it's tough because, you know, when I'm there, it's like, it's definitely all the, all the homesick feelings and, right. um, and, and positive feelings you have from a place that you have deep roots with. But at the same time, uh, it would, it would take a pretty, uh, um, high level of delusion to not be somewhat honest. I mean, that's right. a, ter a terrible reputation. Right, right. If you're from, if you're from around here, you're well aware of the <laughs> yeah, reputation yeah. that it right. has. I feel like cities like that too, though, people that are, are from there or like you've had family there have a hard time like disparaging that because you have roots and you've, yeah, you know what it was like. And There are things about it that, uh, you know, I, I think geographically it's built almost on the side of a, it's almost too steep to build on much of the city. Right. And as a result, you have these amazing views of the water and 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 looking out um, towards Providence, I mean, you can just see for miles and miles, and right. and as a result, it's it's a at times a very um, surprisingly beautiful place, right. uh, and that can't ever go away. It's just the lay of the land, and there's a lot of history. Um, there's a lot of uh, because it, because it's so cheap to live there, it's become a very much more diverse city than it was when I was growing up, and there's a lot of really great really cheap authentic food uh from lots of different ethnic groups um if you know where to look right. uh, so it doesn't it's not um it's not completely devoid of charm <laughs> right right but it's a tough place for yeah. sure yeah and and growing up there uh, you know what did, what did you do for fun Is it... um uh, both my parents were school teachers mm -hmm. uh i you know, it's funny, my, my dad, my dad was an art teacher. Um, he was also a former um, Marine sergeant. He was much older than my mom. Mm -hmm. And he had, uh, he had joined the Marines during the Korean War. He didn't go overseas. Uh, but he signed up just to sort of get out of the city. Right. And um, he also wanted a way to pay for college because he wanted to um, study art. Mm -hmm. And my grandparents uh, weren't having that they right. wanted, they wanted him to be a state trooper, you know. Yeah. And, um, so he figured that would be his way to sort of write his own ticket into college and do what he wanted to. Mm -hmm. uh, so he did that. Um, and his, uh, he ver that, that kind of experience and that sort of background really kind of um, made him the guy who he was. So he could be a very, you know, it's like you never leave the Marines in right. some ways. Of course. And at the same time, he... Uh, he had this art background, but he was very old school. He didn't really have any time um, 
for modern art at all. Right. He kind of hated it. Mm -hmm. um, he was very, very old school. He didn't really, um, was not a fan of like pop culture in any way, shape or form. Right. So we, like growing up, we didn't have um, a color TV mm -hmm. or cable or a VCR, stuff like that. And right. he, uh, you know, there was like zero rock and roll in the house. Yeah. Plus he was older, you know, he like, you know, by the time rock and roll and stuff like that came out, my dad was in his 30s. Right. It's so like my dad listened to jazz and like right. classical music and stuff, but was very, very, um, you know, we went to art museums. Mm -hmm. I never I never went to Disney World. Right. And most of the movies that came out, like when we were kids, that all of people of our generation would have seen, if I've seen them, it's because I saw them as an adult, like yeah, 20 yeah. Or 30 years later. So right. like I've never seen... Um, I don't think I've ever seen the original Terminator right. or like any of the horror movies or um, none of that stuff or like yeah. the popular TV shows. Like I never own or like, like I never owned Thriller. Right. I never owned it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it wasn't until, it wasn't until probably middle school that I even really understood like what music videos were. Right. I just, I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. You know, I had, I didn't have any older siblings. Right. I have one sister who's younger. Mm -hmm. Um, so as a result, uh, you know, I spent a lot of time reading. I definitely was, um, there were a lot of upsides to that. Like, I'm yeah. not trying to say like, what was me or whatever, but at right. the same time, I, I don't think my, um, upbringing was necessarily that typical. Right. Um, so by the time, and I was going to Fall River Public Schools, so, mm -hmm. and I was younger. My parents started me in, in school when I was four years old. Okay. So, by the time I got to middle school, which was like a bigger school and very like like inner city public school, you know, and you know everybody's like becoming a preteen and sort of like figuring out who they're going to hang out with and what kind of person they want to be. I was sort of painfully um, disconnected. Yeah. And. to the extent where it was pretty clear that I was not like, I was not going to, um, succeed socially in those areas. Yeah. And, um, yeah, at the same, and it was kind of like, well, why, sh why should I try? Right. You know, but at the same time, it's not, um, you know, fall river is not like a big, like you don't have a lot of like options culturally. Right. You know, it's, um, it's not a college town. There's, there's nothing. It's, it's, you don't really have a lot of options. Like, you know, it's not, it's not as easy as just saying, well, I'm just going to do my own thing. Right. You know? Yeah. So, and this was the mid eighties. Yeah. Um, so eventually I ended up falling in with some guys. It was kind of like, there wasn't really a set thing. It was like a couple of my friends, um, ended up with skateboards. Right. I saw some guys skateboarding in my neighborhood. I had skateboarded a bit growing up, um, but I could tell that it was like this sort of parallel world. It was right. like here's here's the regular world, um, which at the time was like um, you know Air Jordans, right? And um, and uh, let's see, I don't even know how to describe what was going on. Um, MTV culture and that kind of stuff, like Rob Bass and DJ yeah, yeah. Z Rock and yeah, like yeah. Air Jordans, you know yeah. what I mean? Oh, yeah. And it, it was, it's a very like Far River's a very sort of like 
like street city, like right. like break dancing was big when I was growing mm -hmm. up yeah. um, with kid, not with me, but like right. or, you know graffiti and break dancing, yeah. you know. But you wouldn't see like heavy metal anymore. Right. There right. was just it just didn't exist yeah. really. Yeah. Um, so when I saw that was going on, and I was like, you know, this is sort of like um, something separate and completely detached in a way that it doesn't seem to really be concerned with this other stuff that is completely alien to me. Right. Um, I sort of just gravitated towards it. Um, and at the same time, it, it provided me that whole little scene did have a conduit to getting culture from outside of the city. Right. The skateboarding was so small at the time, you know, pre pre X games and, and all that stuff right. that, you know, the city had maybe 90,000 people in it. There were maybe 20 or 30 skateboarders. Right. And so that meant that if you skated and you were 11 or 12 years old, you were skating with the guys who were 18. Yeah. Um, and just because you, that was what you guys did, you right. know, like there wasn't a lot of people who were into this very kind of sort of obscure thing. Right. Um, that people get very devoted uh, to. So if you had that, suddenly you were getting people were like making copies of tapes for you. Right. And letting you borrow skateboard magazines that you wouldn't be able to find on a shelf within 30 or 40 miles. Right. But suddenly you had, you were getting old copies. Yeah. Um, and, and, and a copy of a tape that was a copy of a tape that was right. a copy of a tape. So you just became clued into all these different, um, you know, it, it almost, it wasn't so much like, well, if you're, if you're into skateboards, you're into like, here's your haircut and here's your outfit and right. here's your bands. It was more like, if you're into this obscure thing, you suddenly are falling in with people who are into obscure things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Especially back then where, it was like you either you either knew about cool stuff you didn't know about right. cool stuff mm -hmm. and those are the two categories before right. the internet and yeah. youtube and stuff so if you if you listen to the violent femmes the odds were also pretty high that you listened to the dead kennedys right. and you listened to public enemy right. and you listened to um, the ultramagnetic mcs right. and you listened to the sex pistols right. because as very diverse and different as those things were, they were all in this category where it was under the surface, mm -hmm. and you had you had to know people to know about this stuff. Right. So you either appreciated this sort of um, underground culture, um, or you didn't, and there wasn't really any pressure to be like, well, you know, like I'm I'm into like British goth bands, and that's right. that's my thing. Yeah. That would be like a kind of a weird thing at the right. time. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of cool. I don't. I don't think that kids. It wasn't clicky. Like, no, not really. Um, and and you really relied on people to help you find stuff. Right. And you tried to be the, be someone who could help other people discover things too, right. uh, because you were that. That's the only way that stuff got moved around and mm -hmm. passed around. You know. Um, so by the time I was. You know, in sixth and seventh grade, I was um, listening to a lot of the stuff that I listen to now. Yeah. So I was, you know, one of the first albums I bought was uh, In God We Trust Incorporated. Mm -hmm. And I was like 11 yeah. or something. And um, 
you know, I was really into the Ramones and the Sex Pistols, the Dead Kennedys, uh, Public Enemy, um, the Beastie Boys, uh, the Violent Femmes, the Cure, um, the Smiths. And it was only because, like I, because of my upbringing at home, right. combined with how young I was when I started school, combined with falling in with skateboarding, I never had um, the typical awkward years where I was like really into like winger. Right. Or, you know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. I, the where Smiths, I, where I had a fade, a right. high top fade with like lines in my eyebrows or anything. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I lucked out sort of in, in those ways. Like early on, I was like, this this stuff really interests me yeah. and fascinates me. And there's a lot of... Uh, the, there's a lot of substance to this stuff that I think um, will fuel me for a long time. Yeah. Um, and uh, so that that was that was great in that sense. And I and I suddenly had a, a kind of a crew of guys, some of whom were significantly older. Right. Where um, some of the trials and tribulations of uh, being a kid in Fall River were alleviated um due to that yeah some of these guys having crazy crazy guys right um for better and for worse and um you know so as time went on oh and i started so i started my first band in seventh grade okay like me and my friend um we started a band called uh the brain dead geniuses okay and it was kind of like old skull yeah. Oh, yeah. So yeah. it was, you know, acoustic guitar, some crappy Casio. Yeah. And we just made tapes at his house. Yeah. And um and um drew drew our logo everywhere and, and told everybody we were the best band in the world. Yeah. And that was the extent of that band. Right. And uh by the time you know, my parents were getting pretty concerned. Yeah. Um, because a lot of these guys were like the, the troublemakers of the school and came from bad backgrounds. Right. You know what I mean, it was mm-hmm. like, you know, most of them were great guys. Um, even the ones who were super rough around the edges. Right. Some of them were genuinely not great guys. Right. And I think my parents saw me going to high school as um, a risky proposition. Right. Uh, given like some of this, some of those types of guys yeah and so they were like there's no way that that's happening like you, yeah. you, you cannot so my mom was um, teaching at a Catholic high school mm-hmm. it's actually the school where my parents had met they'd both been teachers there back in the 60s oh, okay. and because of um, how long she had worked there um, the tuition would be free for me right. to go uh, so that's where I ended up going okay um, now I still lived in Fall River with all my friends. Right. So my contact with those guys didn't really change. Right. Um, I had my life outside of school and on the weekends. And then in school, I found, you know, a handful of friends. But it was it was like a big uh, culture shock. Yeah. Um, a lot of the kids had a good amount of money. Mm-hmm. At the same time, a lot of them had uh, come from very sheltered backgrounds. Right. So even like the popular kids in the school, so it's like, you know, 1991. Right. And the kids are listening to like Clapton. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like nobody was like, like the cool kids were listening to like Zeppelin and Clapton. (laughs) Yeah. And and not in like an ironic way. Like they're like, you know, we listen to Rush. Right. Like, what do you, like, what do you mean? Yeah, yeah. 
you like Fugazi, right. you know what I mean? Like, the, like, right. Um, and the girls listened to like James Taylor. Right. And there was nothing wrong with that. But yeah. at the same time, I was like, you know, I felt like I was kind of a city kid. Right. And a lot of, a lot of these kids came from, um, you know, they'd grown up like in, in, in some of the, uh, you know, I'm, I'm making huge generalizations, but right. like affluent backgrounds right. um, and not in cities right. uh, out towards the Cape. So like Marion and Mattapoisett mm-hmm. or, um, you know, but but I made some some uh, uh, some very good friends who are st- I'm still friends with to this day yeah. by going to that school who I never would have become friends with. Right. And some who were who were, despite my generalizations, extremely um, well versed. I mean, right. one of my best friends was this this kid from Westport, who I'm still good friends with, mm-hmm. who was like a hip hop encyclopedia. Yeah, it's like massive cassette collection yeah. of, of hip hop, nice. and just a, a very funny, um, you know, very, very uh, in his own way cultured, and to this day, like just a really cool guy who I'm yeah. still friends with. Um, so I did have some friends, but at the same time, it was. It was tough. I mean, yeah. I didn't, I, there was no, I mean, almost nobody who was into any of the things that I was into. And it was a very small school, right. and, you know, uniforms every day, yeah. ties every day. My mom was a teacher at the right. school. Yeah. So you were, um, it was, it was, I was not the happiest kid. Yeah. Um, and, and would that stuff have been looked down on? Like if they knew you're listening to, you know, yeah, God we trust. Well, yeah. And I like, I, I would definitely uh, push the envelope as much as I could get away with. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I grew, I grew a beard and was like growing my hair out and yeah. they were like, eventually they pulled me aside and were like, you can't like, you right. got to do something about this. Right. Um, so I, I, sh- I shaved my head with like yeah. a razor blade and right. shaving cream and stuff. That didn't go over well. Yeah. There was a rule, like you had to wear dress shoes to yeah. school and you couldn't wear, um, sneakers. So. I was wearing combat boots. They right. pulled me aside and said, you know, your shoes have to be like, you know, four eyelets or, right. or less. Yeah. So I cut the tops off the boots so that they were like <laughs> low cut. It, it was awful. You right. know what I mean? I was, yeah. I hated being there. And, yeah. Um, you know, I, I was getting through it and I had, I had at the same time, I, at the same time I was having some of the best times ever right. outside of school. Yeah. Um, the skateboarding all the time, you know, every night. Yeah. And um, I was spending a lot of time in Newport, just mm-hmm. crashing on people's couches and stuff yeah. like that. And I was going to tons of shows. Yeah. Um, we had, there was a pretty vibrant hardcore scene at the time. Yeah. In um, Newport or uh, New, New Bedford. And, New Bedford. And yeah. Newport and yeah. um, in all the surrounding towns. Like we yeah. would, we would drive. You know, whoever had a working car, we'd like pile into a car and go to shows in in Worcester, Springfield, right. Amherst. Mm-hmm. Um. And it was a really uh, a great scene. Um, there were some bands that I really liked that I I saw all the time, and uh, I I was really um, you know there there were parts of there were parts of of hardcore that uh, really appealed to me, and and um, I learned things from it that I carry with me all the time. Yeah. There was a lot of it that I never wanted anything to do with. Right. And I still don't. Yeah. Um, I always took it with a grain of salt. Yeah. I was I was never fully um, a card carrying member. Yeah. 
even though I was probably at two shows a week and right. a lot of my friends were in the bands and stuff yeah. like that. I I was um I always kind of um was a little hesitant of a lot of you know, to get too into a lot of it. Yeah. Um you know, so that's I, I also had another band uh in high school. I played we played our first show mm-hmm. with some of my Fall River friends. Yeah. Um so that's kind of where I was at at that time. Do you, do you remember the the first show you saw? Uh, well, the first time or, I saw like, like an actual band um, was a band in Fall River called Serial Toys that okay. I ended up joining, mm-hmm. and I was just at their practice in the basement. Yeah, and that was the first show I ever played. Yeah, um, when I first saw them, they were a three piece, mm-hmm. and it was straight uh, straight hardcore. Yeah, and ec- excellent. I thought they were like the greatest thing ever. Yeah. And um, by the time I joined, it was more like um, heavy alternative rock mm-hmm. band. Okay. Um, and we were terrible, but had every intention of being good. Right. And we played one big show at at, uh, at the high school in the auditorium. There yeah. were like 3,000. It was like some weird right. pseudo talent show. We yeah. did like our three songs. Right. Um, but to put some um, perspective onto the, the city at the time, mm-hmm. there were 30 acts on the bill. It was really? this all day thing. Yeah. We were the only band. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, just, was it all like uh, dance jugglers troops, and dancers, rappers? Yeah. Um, rappers who dance, dancers right. who rap. Yeah. Um, I don't even know what else, but you know that's that's Fall River in a nutshell back yeah. then. Yeah. Um, but that was also that was also definitely a, a turning point where it's like, all right, I'm going to band practice. Like right. We're having practice and and. Um, even even to do stuff on a com- on a complete level of of failure mm-hmm. but it requires like okay we need to play together we need to f- we need to write a song we need to have practice we need to pick a band name etc mm-hmm. like that is still good to do even if it goes nowhere right um because it lays the groundwork later on right and i had also another important part of this is um i had i've been playing piano my whole life at this point okay which also at the same time, once I once I got into high school, mm-hmm. I had lost interest in um, practicing or going showing up for my lessons. Right. But from like five years old to like thirteen, I was playing, um, and that definitely would come to help me later on. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and when you first started going to shows, did you feel that same sort of? I you oh, said you didn't really like. Well, my first my first real show that I went to was. Uh, Intent to Injure, yeah. or ITI, right. and it was at the Curfew Club in uh, New Bedford, which was an all-ages, um, alcohol-free hole in the wall, right. and uh, and it was insane. It was yeah. the first, like, tr- like truly, um, it was the first real show I'd been to, like yeah. real bands who knew what they were doing, who yeah. had songs. It was the first hardcore I had ever seen in person, although right. I had heard a bunch yeah. on record at that point. And um, ITI, you know, Josh, he sings for um, American War Machine, too. Yeah. He was in Civil Defense. Yeah. Um, they were, like, at the time, um, like, pretty scary. Yeah, if you didn't yeah. know those guys, yeah, yeah. it was, like, super aggressive. Yeah. And they were just in between songs. They're, um, you know... Uh, like, I won't repeat what they were saying, but right. they were calling out the crowd for being, like, cowards. Right, right. You know? Yeah, like, yeah, of course. And um, 
and really encouraging violence. Yeah. And it was it was sca- super scary. Yeah. And you know, I was a little kid. I probably weighed like 130 pounds. Yeah. But at the same time, it was like exhilarating. It's yeah. like whoa, like. I'm on a Christian Avenue, Bedford, yeah. at this weird sketch ball place <laughs> right. in a room full of like people like beating the hell out of each other. Yeah. And the band is threatening to to like kill the crowd <laughs> if they don't step it up a little bit. Yeah. And I'm like, this is just madness. Yeah. Madness. Yeah. And at the same time I saw some of the guys who I skated with who were from Tiverton mm-hmm. were at that show and I was like, whoa, like those are guys I know from skating yeah. who somehow made it from Tiverton to, to New Bedford. Right. Like there's some, there's, there's a network here. Yeah. Like yeah. these, these dots are connecting. Right. And those guys, it was, um, it was, uh, Josh Peralt and his brother, Ben, mm-hmm. um, Josh would, uh, go on to play. They both play in freedom force. Yeah. Um, Josh is in rampage. Mm-hmm. Um, and still those guys, um, I still consider super good friends of mine. I might yeah. see them once every three years these right. days, but um, from our connection, skateboarding and going to shows and having to sort of uh, look out for each other yeah. at certain times, mm-hmm. um, I, I carry I, I carry a connection with those guys yeah. to this present day. So from my very first show, it was like there were parts in place that are still there today. Yeah. And um, Jeremy Medeiros, mm-hmm. who played in ITI, yeah. And may still when they play, I'm not even sure. They still occasionally do some shows. Right. Um, he's in my new band. Oh, right. Um, and I, I ended up he he played in a band called Third Age. Yep. That I. I feel like I saw more third more Third Age shows than they played. Right. Somehow, <laughs> and Ryan Parker, their bass player, is yep. also in my new band. Oh, okay. I'm in Third Age. Yep. So, a lot of a lot of, you know, a lot of these these stories I'm telling like from my early introductions to this stuff, those people are still very much a yeah. part of, yeah. um, of what I'm, what I do now and stuff I work on now, which is kind of crazy to yeah. think about. I mean, it's going back 30 years yeah. in some cases. Yeah. seems like a running theme with a lot of the people I talk to on this and just my, our friends. Yeah. We have mutual friends and yeah. just yeah. people that touch the hardcore scene a little more than just mm-hmm. going to shows for like a year. And then it was a phase like people that sort of, stayed in that and made friends yeah those people are still there for like you said 30 something years later and what's what's funny about that might not have been that show but a later show that i went to at that same club um you know so i'm at my high school and uh getting by and one of my favorite bands was the pixies Mm mm-hmm and the Pixies, um, the singer, had grown up in Westport, which was like one town over. Right. Um, he had moved around a lot, mm-hmm. but had, had gone to Westport High and had been in Westport for a while. Right. And a lot of my friends in high school lived in Westport, and some right. of them remembered from when he lived in town, mm-hmm. but they didn't really listen to the Pixies. Right. They were just like, oh, oh you like that, that band? Oh, I remember. You know, And I was like, oh, man, I, I just love that band. Like yeah. Doolittle do had just come out, mm-hmm. and I was really into them. And um, then Bossa Nova came out, and they were already one of my favorite bands. Yeah. And um, eventually one day, somebody, one of my friends from Westport was like, oh, the singer's brother is transferring into our school, and yeah. he's going to be in our grade. We know him. He's this kid, Ian. Right. I was like, that's amazing. Yeah. So the way that our seats went is it, our, it went by last name in alphabetical order. Right. My last name being Grant. 
um, he had he has the same mom as Charles, but different right. dads. His last name was Heimbegner. Okay. So we ended up sitting right next to oh, each right. other. Nice. And because of through his brother, he had been exposed to just an unbelievable wealth of experiences in music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, just had you know hung out with David Bowie right. and Scene. Yeah. So suddenly I had somebody who like knew this. Right. Like, I could talk to the, I yeah. had somebody to talk to. Right. And they happened to sit next to me. Yeah. And so we became good friends. And um, so I remember going with him to one of those early crazy shows. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't even know how we would have gotten there. Right. But in any event, he was somebody, he came, I think, our junior year. Mm-hmm. So junior and senior year. Um, I, I felt like I had, a, I had a, it was like, you know, my ability to uh, have, have people to talk to at, yeah. at, at school, I like doubled yeah, yeah. Uh, by knowing him. Yeah. And um, so in any event, that was, um, that was high school yeah. uh, for me. Yeah. And you, so then you started doing more music after high school? Yeah, I went away to, um, I went to BU yeah. when I left um, high school and mm-hmm. immediately, you know, it was like this huge um, breath of fresh air. Yeah. Uh, living, going from living in Fall River and going to this private school right. to suddenly like going to BU, like right. basically right in Kenmore Square. Um, you know, surrounded by amazing music shops yeah. and 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 comic book stores and lots of uh, people doing interesting things and and. And were very open-minded to doing uh, crazy new things, yeah. and and it was like it was almost it it was totally overwhelming yeah. for me. Was this ninety four, ninety five? This is ninety three. Ninety three. Okay. And I I was um, seventeen, mm-hmm. probably, um, although I was, you know, I was smart enough. I was still seventeen, right. and probably um, not mature enough to be handling the situation in right. the best way. Yeah. So. Um, I ended up uh, falling in with some guys. We started a band uh, called Merrick. Yeah. And it was like um, indie rock mm-hmm. band. Um, I was sort of already doing like the singy, screamy right. time, kind of back and forth thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there was an older guy in our school uh, named Tom mm-hmm. who had played in the band Drunks with Guns. Oh, yeah. And um, he had gone, decided to go to college like a little later in life. He might have been like 25 or something, right. 23. But he seemed like significantly older than us. Mm-hmm. And he started booking these shows in the student union. Mm-hmm. And um, so suddenly we had a place to play. Yeah. Because we didn't have any vehicles. Right. We didn't know what we were doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we played our first show there. Oddly enough, our first show was the band Karate's first show. Oh, really? And um, oh, the drummer went to BU. Yeah, like, there was right? some connection. Yeah. We, our first show was together. Yeah. Um, and so we did that for like a year and a half, wrote a bunch of songs. I really um, was struggling to write lyrics that I was happy with. Yeah. Um, I really was, I had a lot of um, self-doubt about my abilities to, especially to write. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but I felt like I got a lot out of the way with mm-hmm. that band. Yeah. Um, However, at one point, they basically were like, uh, gave me my walking papers. Yeah. And it, and it was kind of, but it was like a strange thing. Like, we, people liked us. Right. 
and it seemed like people liked me as yeah. a singer for the band. Right. But indie rock, especially at that time, like having a singer wasn't necessarily the coolest thing. Right. Like most of the bands, it's like, oh, the bassist kind of mumbled. Yeah, yeah. You know what right. I mean? Yeah. And that's still sort of a thing. Definitely. Yeah. It's like if you had a singer, yeah. you know, I feel like people are thinking like, like, oh, like, well, you can't play are, you, are you Led Zeppelin? Right. <laughs> yeah, oh, nice. Yeah. You have a lead right. singer. Yeah, I know. Is it Freddie Mercury right. singing for you? <laughs> and and right. it, and meanwhile, everybody else in the band is thinking like, well, you know, I know words. I can right. just put a microphone in front of me and I'll say some things right. and we don't need a singer. Right. So, um, so that was it for me for that band. Um, my girlfriend at the time. Uh, she and I split up. My mm -hmm. roommate at the time was moving away. Mm -hmm. um, I got hurt at work. I needed a hernia repair surgery, and I was mm -hmm. going to be laid up for a while. Yep. Um, and my dad, who had been progressively getting sick for a long, long time, mm -hmm. um, was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, mm -hmm. and he was only 58. He oh, was wow. still working. Wow. Um, and I was, I had, was 18 going on 19. And uh, my sister had gone away to college. So it was just my mom trying to deal with my dad at home. My mom was working. Right. My dad was getting, had to retire early with disability, but he was so young that the school was fighting it. Like right. they, like they, like they he was running a scam or right. something, which would just made it all the, all the worse. Yeah, exactly. He'd been very, very sick for a long time and they were hesitant to call it what it was just because it seems so crazy that he would be that, that young. young yeah. um, so the writing was on the wall for me to move back home. Right. Um, so I did that. Mm -hmm. And for a long time, I was like, all right, what am I going to do here? Like, yeah. I have no idea what I'm going to do with my life. Right. Um, you know, so I, I got a job at the local country club where my mm -hmm. sister was working at in between um, semesters, right. uh, just working in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. And I was alternating my schedule so that when my mom was at work, I was home with my dad. And my mom would come home and I would go to work right. so that somebody could be there with him because um, he was uh, a big guy who kept himself in really good physical shape. Mm -hmm. And suddenly um, his mental health was gone right um you know no longer knew who i was no right. longer knew where he was yeah. accusing us of stealing things saying telling us informing us he'd called the police right just it was it had been getting strange and, and awful for a long time yeah. but now it was like this is sort of a, a a crisis yeah so that was going on and i uh i was like all right i need i need to find a band yeah i, I like need a band and i would let now it's kind of like I was in bands, but but now I like I need a band. This is what I'm supposed to be doing yeah. right now. But all my old friends had also moved away. Right. You know, I moved away when I was 17. Yeah. I came back when I was 19, and all my other friends had gone through similar, like gone off. Right. You know, and that and I had left when it was 93, and I came back and it was 95, right. and a lot of music had changed at that point. Mm. So the the shows that I was going to that were hardcore shows. One of the things I loved about it was that it was never, um, it was never looked upon or intended to be minor leagues for something else. Right. Um, it was, you know, your, your goal was to write the best songs you could, 
put on the best show you could, record the best record you could, and that was that was that it. Was it yeah. And beyond that, it was to be better at those right. things. Yeah. And all of my favorite bands had never quit their day jobs. Right. Not like the guys who were legends to me yeah. had all punched a clock somewhere and, and then and then done their important thing in life, right. which were these bands. Right. You know, like I don't think bad brains were ever able to not work. Right. For long periods of time, yeah. they always had to like have jobs. Right. Those guys are absolute legends to me. Right. And so, for me, the, one of the biggest appeals of of hardcore and underground music was like, um, it was accessible. It was right. an attainable thing, mm -hmm. and it was, it was, it was a, a folk art right. type thing. Mm -hmm. Like this is music that we make in our communities. Yeah. We are very good at it. It represents us. No one from outside of this community would do it quite like we do it. Right. And we are on the highest level of quality and performance that you could ever want from anything. Yeah. And because our goal is not career oriented with this, it allows a certain um, uninhibited mm -hmm. uh, creativity. Yeah. So I loved all of that. Yeah. You know, it was like, it was like, you know, there, there were big bands out there, you know, like U2 and In Excess, but that wasn't an accessible thing. Like, right. How, like, how do you become Aerosmith? Right. I mean, there's no way, there's no path to that. Right. And, and those guys aren't relatable to you, nor are they supposed to be. Right. They want to be as unrelatable to you as humanly possible. Yeah. Um, and they'll go out of their way. You know, Ozzy would bite the head off a bat on stage right. just to let you know right. you're not like him. Right. You will never be like him. Right. Don't even bother trying. Right. Um, so it didn't represent you. Yeah. It was something to look at and appreciate from the distance. Right. And it might it might blow your mind and, and there, there's something to be said for that. Right. But it wasn't this other thing. Yeah. And um, the other thing was just so validating. Yeah. You know, and uh, so I came back. And during that interim, I felt like, even though, you know, the, the grunge revolution or whatever had happened in like, what, 91, 92, right. it took a while for the, the repercussions of that to filter its way back down. Yeah. So when I went back to shows and was going to whatever shows were around, right. uh, first of all, there were more, um, they were less sounding like hardcore shows and more right. like the sort of alternative rock, yeah. indie rock stuff going on. Mm -hmm. And um, there was a sense that this was a minor league situation. Yeah. There was a sense that people were, were biding their time doing this, yeah. waiting for... Um, a deal. Yeah, waiting for the phone to ring right. or something. Yeah. And, um, and everything was suffering because yeah. of that. Everything yeah. was suffering oh, yeah. because Definitely. of that. And I, so I wanted a band, and I was just very frustrated. And I didn't know what I was doing with my life. And I didn't. all my friends were gone. So yeah. I, I was trying to piece together a, a network of people. Mm -hmm. So I had, I was hanging out at this coffee shop for a while and asking around if anyone knew of anybody that I right. could start a band with. And uh, this dude's like, yeah, yeah, you, uh, there's this metal band looking for a singer. Mm -hmm. They've been looking for a singer for a long time. Here's a kid's name. His name is Craig. Call him and ask him. Right. Tell, tell him you, you, you know of him through me. Right. And I'm sure he'll let you come down and try it out. Right. So... 
so I called and and uh, it was Craig Fleming and he says oh yeah um, yeah sure come on down give it a shot we practice at the Wamsutta Mills right. top floor we'll be there you know Saturday at three right. just walk up you'll hear us and just yeah. just walk in right, I'm right. like all right cool what do I get to lose right so I. I go to this mill. You got to walk up to the top floor of the mill up the fire escape, which is yeah. like barely connected to the building. Right. Walk all the way up. I open the door and I can hear the band. So I find the door to the space. I walk in and they're mid song. Mm-hmm. So they look at me. I look at them and I just kind of sit down and I'm listening to it. And I'm like, this is like terrible. Yeah. It's not going to work. Right. And now <coughs> I need to like gracefully remove myself right. from the situation. Mm-hmm. So they go right from that song straight to another song. Right. And I'm like sitting there and I'm like feeling like pretty down about everything. And right. so finally there's like a break in the action and I stood up and I was like, Hey guys, I'm like, I'm sorry. Um, this just isn't for me. Right. And I wish you guys luck and it's cool. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just not my thing. Yeah. And they're like, Oh, um, who, who are you? <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? Right. I was the guy I was going to sing. Right. They're like, Oh, we, we're not looking for a singer. I was like, Oh, it's right. one of you guys, Craig. They're like, right. Oh, Craig Fleming. Right. Oh, that's two doors down. <laughs> so I was at some random so band. Some random I told them I didn't like him. That's amazing. So then I go to the right space. <laughs> yeah, and I go to the right space and I open the door. And um, uh, I open the door to that space. Uh, Craig is there. Um, I don't even know where to begin. Yeah. There's there's a coffin in the space with a sleeping bag in it. <laughs> there's ammunition everywhere. Bullets, just loose uh, bullets right. all over the floor. Yeah. Um, guns everywhere. Yeah. Um, there's... Uh, a homemade recreation of um, one of the movie sets from Hellraiser, like that spinning like post with chains oh, yeah, yeah. everywhere. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, there's, uh, I mean, it just it was craziness. Right. And Craig, Craig uh, might have been wearing, he might have been like in full drag. Yeah, I don't remember. Right. He was a lot. And he's like, "Oh, hey, glad you can make it." Yeah, I'm like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> so. We have that practice. Um, it was very like what they were doing at the time was um, thrash, uh, sort of like, um, I don't know how to describe it. Thrashy, heavy, somewhat like Sepultura type stuff. Yeah. Um, I taped some of the songs and I was like, all right, I'm going to go home and write to this. Yeah. I came back, I wrote to it. It was really heavy, way heavier. And I like, I had no taste for metal at yeah. the time. I liked a handful of metal yeah. bands. Uh, yeah, I was a big Integrity fan. Yeah. Um, I liked Slayer. I mm-hmm. liked Sabbath. Yeah. All the corny, like the three or four metal bands that hardcore guys like, I mm-hmm. liked. Right. And so I, I, had, I was not qualified to right. sing for them yeah. at all. Nor did I think I wanted to. Right. So I wrote some stuff. And um, eventually I said to them, I- I'm sorry, I don't think I'm right for you guys. Yeah. And uh, they were like, oh, why? What's the problem? We kind of liked what you were doing. Right. I was like, well, it's just a little too metal, et cetera. Yeah. I, I really am kind of looking for a hardcore band. So Craig right. was like, well, I, you know, we love hardcore too. Right. 
let me think about things. So right. he calls me back in a couple of weeks and he's like, you know, we cut a couple of songs out of the set. We wrote some other songs. We'd like you to come back in. Yeah. And by that time, the wheels have been kind of turning in my head and I'm thinking to myself, this, as much as this is not what I want to do, it might be what I need to do. Right. Like this might be the perfect vehicle mm -hmm. for what I want to do right now, right. which is to come out with guns blazing and right. play some of these shows and just like, I mean, really come out with guns blazing. Yeah. And I need something that maybe I, maybe I don't like, right. Like I maybe need something that's, that's beyond what I would like mm -hmm. just so I can have this vehicle, um, like I, like I was just so angry. I was really kind of angry at yeah. at, at the other bands. Like yeah. I brought, I wanted to like, I wanted to make these bands feel bad. Right. I yeah. mean, I wanted to make people feel right. terrible. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought this might be it. Yeah. Like maybe this is it. Right. And I'm just let's just make the the grossest thing ever. Right. And so we did, and um, it 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 went better than I expected. Yeah. Like immediately people were like, you guys are just awesome. Yeah. And I don't like, I don't mean to say that like we were awesome because right. we weren't, mm -hmm. but people, it would seem like what I was trying to do was resonating on some mm -hmm. level. Yeah. Um, and it was not a hardcore scene at all. Yeah. It was like, you know, you know that, um, you know, the Fugazi documentary, mm -hmm. you know, at that one point, like grunge happens. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Band -based yeah. 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 It was like that. Yeah. You know what course. I mean? Yeah. And um, so we started having these all ages shows and it was like we were playing these halls and just packing them. Yeah. Um, with a bunch of other local bands too. Mm -hmm. But it would be like 350 kids yeah. packed in a hall just going nuts. Yeah. And I remember our first run of shirts we did. We just, we had like 50 shirts and just sold out of them before yeah. we even went on. It was yeah. like, this is awesome. Right. You know what I mean? And, um, is this gas kill? This is gas yeah, kill. Yeah, right. So then one thing leads to another and, mm -hmm. um, the city starts cracking down on all ages shows and we had to start playing bars yeah. and there weren't really any bars that were, um, letting original bands play. Right. So, uh, you know, we got, we started playing at the new wave, mm -hmm. which had cover bands all the yeah. time. And they were like, well, you guys can play. But we want, you'll have to, like, you got to play for, like, three hours. Right. And it was like, <laughs> damn. All right. right. Uh, so we would do, like, we'd be like, all right, how about if we do an hour set and a 45-minute break and another hour set? Right. And we just learned a bunch of covers and just started writing and writing and writing. Yeah. Um, and the band changed over time, just changed its sound, and we got better. Um, and more original bands started playing at the club and the right. club sort of re began to reinvent itself. Yeah. Like when we were playing there, it was just no stage right. and a PA. It was like, um, it was like playing like PA's lounge or something, right. yeah, you know, yeah. the chopping block. <laughs> and, and then suddenly I think the club was like, this is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and they were a Portuguese restaurant slash fisherman bar. Yeah. And, in. in really in the hood, right? like in the waterfront industrial uh, area of New yeah. Bedford. And suddenly they slowly transformed into this rock club, yeah. very slowly, incrementally. Yeah. And the guys running sound there um, were Tom and Ron Poitras, who had played in a band called the Gluons in the okay. early 80s. Um, and 
were very extremely hip knowledgeable guys yeah. and were, were on their own through their own volition spin amazing music in between bands and they were running an open mic there right. like they were already there mm -hmm. um, but they needed like fuel yeah and so that stuff started happening and they were let then they began to let us book our own shows right and so then word got out that we were a place that Boston bands could play or prominence yeah. bands could play and things just really started snowballing quickly mm. um, and then they started giving me nights I could book there and mm. asking me to fill in booking nights and yeah. stuff and like these great bands were coming into play right. um, like Season to Risk played there oh and really stuff. like just yeah like yeah. random weird stuff yeah. and um, Holy Cow played a bunch down there well right? Holy Cow were like local they were the you yeah. know uh, the singer for Holy Cow was the brother of the singer for the Gluons, who oh, were the okay. sound guys there. And the singer for the Gluons ended up becoming the basis for Holy Cow when they reformed. Okay. And it was, um, those guys were all very much still a part of the music scene and started yeah. playing again mm -hmm. at the New Wave all the time. Oh, okay. And became very close friends with us. We, yeah. we all used to play together. Yeah. Um, very different styles of yeah, music of in some ways. Yeah. But um, Chris and I, as front men are maybe not so different. That's what I was going to say. I was, I was going to ask you some of your influences as a, as a front man. Yeah, I would think of him. When I first saw him, I was like, where, yeah. where the hell has this guy right. been? Yeah. Like, he's been around. I didn't know about this guy. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Um, or like Jet from Sam Black Church. Yeah, which I which I became of him like uh, later. much later. Yeah. yeah. But uh, so that whole scene... Um, mm -hmm took off uh we had a wilhelm scream down there oh, yeah. um and then um beyond the embrace mm -hmm. metal band yep. um and then holy cow and us and i was um bringing in a lot of bands that i liked from boston and providence yeah. and trying to um use my ability to book shows there to trade shows mm -hmm. so it would get us out of town etc the sound system ended up becoming in my opinion one of the best sound systems in new england yeah um and people appreciated that yeah. the club played paid the bands very well yeah especially compared to um boston yeah um now that they're closed i don't feel as guarded about talking about it right. but we played shows um the capacity of the club was 90 yeah. people right we'd have 350 people pay yeah. at the door right. and and they would hand us like like thousands to yeah. pay the bands right with. Yeah, and yeah. everybody ate and drank for free yeah, yeah. and then at the end of the night and uh, I, it was like <laughs> part of the reason the club doesn't exist anymore is they were willing to um, push the boundaries uh, regarding um, what's necessarily uh, legal. Right. <laughs> so there were perks to playing there yeah. that um, were hard to wrap your head around sometimes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had a just so much fun it was right. just an insane time yeah and really i mean i can't even explain it um just a, a packed house of people going yeah bonkers yeah bonkers yeah and this would happen like all the time um it got a reputation like it was it was group. awesome it was yeah. really cool and it it's it's sorely missed i mean yeah. it's it's been gone for a while now it's um has never been replaced right. but so in any event um Time went by, and um, we were becoming like a progier and progier band. Mm -hmm. um, we recorded an album uh, with Keith Souza, 
who um, owns Machines with Magnets uh, yeah. studio uh, slash performance space and had been a friend of mine from, he played in a band called Rays back in the day and I had known him um, I, uh, forever. Right. Like, he was part, very much part of that same scene of yeah. guys. Um, so we recorded an album with him. He hadn't built Machines with Magnets yet. He still had a studio in his parents' house in Tiverton, mm -hmm. but he was coming into his own with recording, yeah. and um, we were coming into our own as a band. Everything before that, I don't even really count. Right. That was like our first batch of songs that was like, all right, I can like, like we can stand behind this right. now. And um, we were playing a lot with uh, Medea Connection in mm -hmm. Boston, which is, uh, for most of the time, it was Dan and Tanya yeah. um, as a two-piece. Eventually, they um, had a bassist and mm -hmm. And eventually, James, um, Dan's brother, became the bassist. Right. At one point in time, our drummer um, abruptly quit the band. Yeah. We found out from other people. We were at a show that we were playing. Yeah. Other people were like, oh, I heard it's your last show. I'm like, <laughs> no. Right. They're like, no, it is. It's your yeah. last show. I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Your drummer's. And we had other shows booked. Right. Yeah, we yeah. had a whole album's worth of material written. And um, he didn't. Um, we hadn't done anything to warrant that. Right. It was yeah. just like, I'm going to do this because I can and yeah. it'll be funny or something. Right. So he did that. Right. And um, our songs at that point, most of them were like over eight minutes. Mm -hmm. 12 or 13 parts in every song. Right. Our drummer was writing most, a lot of the guitar and bass parts. Oh, really? like, I was writing all the vocals and lyrics, but sometimes right. he would just demo the whole thing, mm -hmm. teach it to the the other guys and I would write vocals right. so when he left without warning and we hadn't even demoed that stuff that was it yeah. we were just done right. so it was crushing um, yeah. I was really de depressed about it and I had said to myself um, at one point if, there's, if there was anybody I could work with right now who would it be like locally who I right. know or, and, and I was like well I wish I could sing from Medea Connection, right. but they have a singer. It's Dan, right. and they're they're a family unit, right. so that's ridiculous. Yeah. So that'll never happen. Right. And literally, like two days later, my phone rings, and it's Dan from Medea Connection. He's right. like, "Yeah, we're thinking of um like scrapping the band and <laughs> starting a new band, and we'd like you to sing." That's and, a pretty good Dan Brockman, by the way. And yeah, <laughs> and. Uh, We'd like Mario to maybe play bass, and James will move to second guitar. Right. We think it'll be great. And I was like, done. Yeah, Let's yeah. do it. You yeah. know what I mean? And um, that band, that's when things, like, really... That band was in a, a weird situation that, mm -hmm. in retrospect, and I'll talk about that a bit, but that band seemed like, for quite a while, most of the time, it was like, we could do no wrong. Oh yeah. It was just, it was like surreal. Right. And this is the hidden the we're hidden. talking about. And so, you know, we hadn't played any shows yet and mm. things were already happening. Yeah. You know, it was mm -hmm. just like, like the stars had like sort of aligned or right. something mm -hmm. and people were just really excited about this before it even happened. Yeah. And like way more maybe than they should have been on paper. Right. And, we were writing really well right off right off the bat and right. my lyrics were 
suddenly where like they made a jump yeah. like gas kill ended and a few months later i was in the hit and, and i was writing better yeah and i never went it, it became i wasn't struggling yeah. it was like i'm suddenly a better writer yeah and we just were like clicking and mm -hmm. it was firing and um uh it just things happened really quickly jonah jenkins was doing tractor seven and and um at the same time uh, we'd gone to see Shellac in Portsmouth mm -hmm. and um, uh, they did their thing where they sell their own merch off the stage at the end of right. the show yep. and I had um, probably had like 17 beers right. and I asked Steve um, how far out he was booked Right. he's like oh not too bad Yeah. he's like yeah you should come make a record Yeah. and I'm like <laughs> and so we started looking at like the feasibility of doing that and yeah. it's like alright this is kind of affordable yeah Let's go do this. And we had seven songs as right. a band. We had played two or three shows. Yeah. And we booked time in Chicago and like, let's just go make a record. Yeah. Um, so we did. And um, that was an, just an unbelievable experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. What was that like working with? Uh... It, uh, well, to backtrack a little bit, like I had talked about, um, you know, the, how much I like the Pixies, right? And the obviously the production on Surfer Rosa was kind of the thing yeah. that um, that kind of woke people up to um, him as a producer yeah. um, or an engineer, mm -hmm. and because um, it, it has all those trademark things. It's like that minimalist, super dynamic in yep. in, 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 in levels, yep. and the the big massive drum sound. Yeah. Um, you know, just bare bones and just like, you know, real clobbering. And I remember hearing that record and then also hearing um, Big Black on the radio. Yeah. And I might have, there might have been something else, two or, the, two or three other things I had heard that he recorded. Right. And in my head, I said to myself, and I remember, I remember exactly where I was. Um, I was in class one day thinking to myself, and I just said, I'm I'm gonna make records someday. This yeah. guy's gonna record some records that I'm gonna yeah. make, and um, I never worked towards that. Yeah. Outside yeah. of seeing shellac right. and just saying, hey, like, can yeah, is it even possible we can right. record with you? Yeah. And um, you know, the the not so big secret is that he records nobody bands all the time. Right. You yeah. Know? He's right. probably recording one right now. Right. You yeah. know, yeah. and um, and it's not very expensive right. as long as you don't mind getting out to Chicago to do yeah. it. Um, he, that said, um, we ended up doing three records with him. Yeah. And he uh, is extremely friendly and um, uh, welcoming. You know, he lives in the studio downstairs. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like you're in an extension of his of his house, right? And um, uh, extremely friendly, funny, warm guy. Yeah. Um, great conversation. Um, uh, has a a manner of keeping everyone calm, right? Because it's really high stress. Yeah, of course. Um, you know, you don't want to blow it. You're out right. there for like three days or whatever, yeah. trying to trying to really nail this thing. Yeah. So and and you've just driven like 19 right. hours. Yeah. Um, he has a real uh, way of getting people to just stay calm and like focused on yeah. the task. At the same time, um, 
he logged really long hours. Yeah. Um, you're not paying by the hour, you pay by the day. Okay. And he, um, our last album that we did, I, I think our last day was like a 21 hour day. Oh, really? And and it, he was just kind of like, no, let's let's finish. Let's take, <laughs> no, let's, look, let's, let's let this simmer. Right. <laughs> We'll go make some coffee. Yeah. We'll like shoot some pool for a little bit, and uh, let's come, let's come back and see how it sounds. Right. And if we're all up for it, let's keep going. Yeah, your ears start to get. Fr- I remember and the few like times he, I've recorded, your ears get fried oh, yeah. after like eight hours. Oh yeah. And uh, you know he didn't have to do that. He could have right. been like, well, it's been ten hours. Right. Guys, so yeah. You know I'm gonna go watch Wheel right. of Fortune with yeah. my wife downstairs right. or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, I the only complaints that I have. Um, with those recordings would involve my own uh, performance here and there, yeah. Um, which would happen to me no matter where I was. Right. Um, there are always times when I record where I think back to being in the mixing room and wanting to say something, right. and for whatever reason I don't say something, right. and it haunts me for years. Yeah, you hear it. I hear it forever. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I always think I sh- I was right and I should have right. said it and I <laughs> right. didn't say it. Why yeah. I knew it and I didn't say it. Yeah. Um, so, like if I could if I could only do my records there. Yeah. For the rest of my life, I would. Yeah. But it would be hard. Um, logistically, it's hard. Yeah. You know. Have, have you been able to to get past that in subsequent like recordings where speaking up with with stuff that no, you think should no. yeah. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of it's just imaginary too. Yeah. I don't think a lot of that's based on reality. Right. Yeah. You know, I I chose not to say something. Yeah. Um, the fact of the matter isn't that I wanted to say it and I was, I was, a coward. Right. It's that I wanted to say it and I thought better of it. Right. And now I'm second guessing that decision that yeah. I made, which at right. the time, if I had to do it all over again, right. I'd probably do the same thing. Yeah, of course. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's just it's just being a perfectionist and yeah. hating, and hating, hating, and and and. You have so many opportunities to look at something that you did yeah. and convince yourself that you blew it. Right. Um, so the tendency is never to listen back and think like, oh, yeah, we nailed it. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I I will. It's rare that I ever listen to stuff that I recorded right. ever again. Yeah. Um, I'll listen to it a lot when we right. first finish it. And then I never want to hear it again yeah. because um, it doesn't. It sounds like music to other people. It doesn't right. sound like music to me. Yeah. To me, it sounds like a lot of work, work and yeah. a lot of um, opportunities that were either um, seized or the ball was dropped. Right. And I can't, you know what I mean? I can't, I have a hard time um, ever um, divorcing myself from that stuff. Yeah. yeah. So we, uh, You know, we made those records, and there was a lot. Like my my thoughts about music were um, were sort of developing at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, they'd been I'd had a lot of ideas about music, right? Um, that I kept to myself, but just was like turning over in my head, like, you know, what what is music? Like, why am I doing this? Right. Why is it important? Why do I, why do I, when I hear other people's music, why does it mean anything to me? Mm-hmm. Um, why do people even have it? Right. Like how, and how come there aren't groups of people who like don't have music right. somewhere? Um, you know, why isn't it like, like meatballs are delicious. Right. 
lots of countries have meatballs. Right. They don't all have meatballs, right. though. Yeah. They don't have to. Like, right. why isn't music like meatballs? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's delicious if right. you have it, but, yeah, ah, yeah. Right. you know. Yeah. You know, they don't do that over there or right. whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I had studied, um, when I was in school, um, I had studied a lot of Buddhist stuff mm-hmm. and a lot of comparative religious stuff. And um, I had grown up very religious, right. um, very, like, Irish Catholic upbringing. Right. And um, the sort of uh, ecstatic um, euphoria that you would see at, like, a hardcore show, it, it was, like, this thing that, like, just stuck in my head. Yeah. And I was like, what, like, what is that? Like, yeah. what is that? Right. What does it mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and clearly other people are, are feeling it. The yeah. whole place is going bonkers. Right. Like, bonkers. Like, you could lead these people right into speeding traffic. Right. It's so frenzied. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, there's something to be harnessed here. Yeah. Like, what, what, what are we doing? Right. Um, and so I started, like, thinking of these ideas that, um, that this sort of, you know, music sort of is this... Um, religious experience mm-hmm. like a secular religious experience right. and regardless of your culture or your religion or your lack of religion it connects you to greater things right and the only thing that music has in common is rhythm mm-hmm. um it always has rhythm right even these cultures that supposedly have no music or have outlawed music they'll often have like religious chanting right. that is very ryth- rhythmic and 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 it's all based on rhythm right and so i'm like okay so we all have we all have music every religion has music tied into it and music is a form of prayer in every religion there's clearly this like ecstatic um you know ecstasy that people can fall into through this um so i started having this idea like you know music to me i think especially pop music in america um has sort of become this like proto-religion right like it's not a religion but it's i think we're watching one form Mm -hmm. um and i think that a lot of what we do and how we deal with music um is not necessarily on an artistic level it's on a religious level. Right. Um, everything is very ritualized, and we we um, like when was the last time a sports celebrity died, and their fans said they faked their own death. They're really still alive. Right. <laughs> right. But that ha- that happens in rock and roll and rap music all, all the, the time. time. Yeah. Like no one's saying. Dale Earnhardt is right. still alive. Right. He was sick of racing cars. Right. He faked his death. He's in Morocco right, right. now. Yeah, and he, he, he races camels in right. the desert. But people are, people will swear up and down that Jim Morrison's still alive. Right. That Elvis faked his death. Right. Um, that Tupac is alive yeah, and yeah. making a record right now. Right. Um, and the reason that we have that is because just like in um, Buddhism and in Christianity, in many ways you know rock and roll is looked at as this sort of like um fertility death cult right we want our 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 musicians to be young Mm -hmm. to die young but also to never die yeah and it's the sex death 
cult. Right. And, you know, that's a religion that's gone by many different names forever and ever. Right. Um, our, our people in rock and roll get resurrected, right. and, and we, we make icons to them. Yeah. Um, all over the South, you will see extremely... Um, you'll see shrines to Elvis Presley all yeah. over the South. Yeah. Shrines to him. Yeah. Um, and people fall into these frenzied states um, at, at concerts, you yeah. know what I mean? And a lot of... Um, a lot of rock and roll and what we do in rock and roll is no longer based upon like artistic considerations. It's becoming ritualized things. Right. Like you must have a guitar, a bass, a drummer, and a singer because that's the way we do our rock shows. Right. That's the way the ritual works. Right. Um, there will be, you know, there has to be a merch table. There has to be a guy, like it. All everything right. about it, like. None of these things have to be the way they are, but they're they're becoming very um, ritualized, right. and it's because in order for people to like lose themselves the way they want to, it has to be um, wrapped up in um, in something that they they can understand at the right. beginning that they're familiar yeah. with. Right, it has right. to be like this is what I signed up for, and right. this is how I'm going to get myself to to go where I need yeah. to go, and and. So then it's like, okay, why though? Right. Like, why music? Why rock and right. roll? Well, because, um, you know, all all the world is naturally filled with rhythms, you know? Mm -hmm. It's like um, the sun goes up, comes down, it goes up, comes down. There's winter, summer, then winter, then summer, then winter. There's high tide, there's low tide, there's high tide, there's right. low tide. There's, there's full moon, there's new moon, there's full moon, there's new moon. And if if you are sensitive to rhythm, you can recognize those patterns and anticipate how they're going to unfold and anticipate when they're going to change. Right. And if you can do those things, it allows you to survive. You know yeah. when to plant things, you know when to right. go hunt things, you know mm -hmm. when to build, you know when to hide, you know when to do things. Yeah. So on one level, when we hear music, we're practicing all of those survival skills. Right. Here, here's a rhythm. Mm -hmm. I'm able to recognize it. it's catchy to me. Yeah. I can anticipate what it's going to do. If it does something unexpected, there's a thrill and, and a kind of conflict there. But then then I, I know to look for that later on, right. that change, you know. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, on a deeper level, it's almost like by creating our own little patterns of rhythm, yeah. we're creating like a miniature model of all the stuff that we see outside. Right. And we're saying to ourselves not only do I recognize like the world and my place in it, but I can recreate it in tiny scale levels right. at, because it's something that I love. Right. Like I, this is a labor of love for me right. because these patterns that I am also a part of, I love and I appreciate and I understand enough to, to, to do a crude model of it. Right. And other people, when they see my model, they will see everything else in that right. model and they'll recognize it too, yeah. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so these are things that we can do right. that connect us to everything around us and make the world a little less scary because like there's patterns, you can recognize them, you can yeah. see it. And out there, all those things are like that mm -hmm. too. So it gives us this like em empowerment. It makes us feel like more connected with our world and our place in it. Right. And so it's natural that in, in a place like America mm -hmm. where people are coming with 
radically different cultural baggage, right. that would be a common ground. Mm -hmm. Like it, it knocks it right back down to square one, that right. rhythm. The that's, very basic. That's heartbeat, that's mm -hmm. breathing, that's the ties, that's right. everything. And I think right now, like I don't think it is a religion, mm -hmm. but I think that if you were able to go back in time, mm -hmm. that most religions didn't think they were religions when they right. started and probably looked a lot like the last hundred years of pop music in America. Yeah. And um, anyway, that long, that long tangent I just went on is because <laughs> that's been a driving force um, in me for writing mm -hmm. and for what I'm trying to do um, as far back as, as when I did Gaskill and I was like, I need a machine right. to do, to, to, to show people what this, what I think this means, right. you know what I mean, mm -hmm. and that you shouldn't be wasting your time up there because right. um, you might not think this is important, you might right. not want to take this seriously, but that doesn't mean that it's not important right. and it's not serious, yeah. and um, and it's not, you're not capable, you know, you, there's a potential to tap into some big stuff, yeah. you know what I mean, right. um, so. That's been a, a guiding, um, a guiding course in my lyrics and um, and in, in what I try to do on stage and um, and why I'm why I'm making music. Yeah. Um, I think it was always why I was why I was making music. Yeah. And I, I frankly think it's why many people are making music. Yeah. But it, it took me a lot of time thinking about it, and I could be. Uh, like a really delusional person, but, um, but that's sort of where I am. Yeah. And I, I think in many ways, um, growing up with my parents who were, who were deep believers in the church mm -hmm. and, and I was taught to be a deep believer in the church. And, um, you know, at the same time, my dad with his like military background and stuff like that, right. in a way, uh, music became a fusion of, um, of religion and 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 uh, I don't know. I don't know the word I'm looking for. Right. You know, it's 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 like a it's a it's a vocational thing. You know, mm -hmm. it's like you have to do this. Right. You just have to do this. Um. Which can make it hard. Uh. It's these are hard things to explain to people. Right. Yeah. Uh, I'm at the point now where I. I don't try to volunteer at my day jobs that I do this sort of thing anymore because people don't um, get it, nor would I ever expect them to. Right. Yeah, I had I had a funny moment. This is when the hidden was like really like just firing on all cylinders. Right. And uh, and that reminds me of something else I want to come back to. But I was yeah. working my day job, right? Mm -hmm. And um, there was like this older rocker dude. He was like an older hair metal guy, right. retired hair metal guy. Yeah. And um, he, he, he thought it was cool. Like I was playing music. Right. You know? And one, one day he comes to me, he's like, Hey, uh, I gotta ask you something. How long has your band been together? Right. I was like, Oh, like, you know, three years. Right. He's like, how old are you? So I'm 30. Yes. Yeah. Man, I, I gotta tell you, I think you, I think you should probably get rid of that band and start another one. I was like, really? Yeah. Why is that? He's like, oh man, if it hasn't happened with that band yet, it's probably not going to happen, right. man. Three years. Yeah. You better find some new people. Right. I mean, they're just not going to do it for yeah. you. Yeah. 
And so, like, to try to explain, yeah, people that it's it, embarrassing for everybody, right? You know yeah, no, I, mean? I know. It's, it's like, you know, or or they so they either think that like you're like you want to be um, Van Halen, right? Or almost more insulting, they think that you know you want to play uh, Smoke on the Water on the weekends. Right. Yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. like, yeah, right. I, I can't even explain right. this to you. Yeah. I it, can't explain this to you. Yeah, and, it, and it's hard to, uh, you, uh, there was always a period when I remember like at, you know, family events where you had to find the, the point in music where someone would be able to relate the to. The common ground. Yeah, so you'd say, you could start with like Nirvana. You yeah. Know, if you're trying to get to a band that maybe sounds like, I don't know, the Pixies. You right, have to right, be like, right. Well, you've heard this band, and then they go, well, I don't know. And then you'd go, well, what about Jane's Addiction? You know, or whatever. Yeah, and, yep. and so it, it is always in, uh, you know, I have a couple of people at work that will listen to this podcast sometimes and yeah. have no clue what, you know, they're like, right, right. yeah, it's good, but I, I have no idea what any of you guys are talking right, about. Right. And and I love that because right, it, right. it, it is, it's like our thing, underground right. music. Oh, and yeah, just, yeah. And just the, that whole. Yeah, it is. um you feel protective of it, but you also kind of want to tell, like, brag about it a little too. It's definitely an acquired taste. All right. of this stuff, and it's what what people sometimes get wrong is that they think it should be for everybody sometimes, right. and it it really shouldn't be. Yeah, like it's not for everybody. Right. The same way that like chess isn't for right. everybody. Right. Or I don't know, like high lie isn't right. for everybody. Yeah. Why should it be for everybody? Yeah. It's a weird thing. Like you kind of have to invest some time. Um, some of these bands that I really like, it took me a long time putting in the work to like these bands. Yeah. I didn't like them for a long time. Yeah. And but I knew, I knew that um, from where they were coming from and the people who recommended them to me, yeah. that it was there was something like I hadn't put the work in. Right. Like I like I serious like there are bands. It's like books. There are some books out there that are very challenging and difficult to read. Yeah. They're not, and that's not a failure of the book. Right. It means you got to put the work in. Yeah, exactly. It's not a failure of Mount Washington that Mount Washington is hard to climb. Right. Like, you got to put the work in, yeah, and, and yeah. there's music like that, you know? Who are, who are some of the artists that you took a while to... to... Uh, Joy Division. Yeah. Um, when I was, and, you know, I was probably like, I don't know, 13 or so. Yeah. And I thought they were just awful. Right. Terrible. Yeah. Um, I'm like, they, they can't sing. He can't sing. Yeah. Um, the music just sounded like beyond amateurish. Like right. these guys are really not good mm-hmm. and um, just tuneless. Right. And then suddenly one day it, it clicked to the extent that I almost listened exclusively to them for maybe eight months. Right. Um, it clicked on that level. Yeah. And, and, once it clicked, it was never going to unclick. Right. But I, I could easily understand anyone hearing Joy Division and saying, yeah, right. you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> right, right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and then some other stuff like, um, you, you ever heard like Con 8? No. Or like, uh, or like Gnaw? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like the really slow, yeah, just yeah, yeah. like. Oh, K- yeah, K-H-A. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, it's the same singer for both of those bands. Right. And uh, I love that stuff. Yeah. But it is hard to listen to. Yeah. I feel like I that with... I love them and it's hard yeah. to listen to it. You know what I mean? I feel like that's, that with I Hate God is like that. I love them, yeah, but... Yeah, I, it's I, just... 
it's not supposed to be easy for yeah. you. It's not. They're not going to cut up the food on your plate for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you, you like this is not like you have to put work in. Yeah, it's supposed to be. You know, they're doing something that's that's difficult and challenging, and you you don't have to listen. Right. But if you're gonna listen, you've got to put the work in. Or yeah. it's, it's not. It'll never. It'll never work for right. you. Um, so it's not for everybody. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? It's, and, and I don't expect it to be. Right. And that, I think that, you know, when I started making music, it was in the quote unquote good old days yeah. of the music industry yeah. where there were a lot of labels right. and, and supposedly bands were making money. Right. Um, and now supposedly everything's gone to hell, et cetera, right. et cetera. Um, I, I personally feel the exact opposite is true. Yeah. Um, none of my peers were making any money right. in the good old days. Yeah. Uh, a lot of us, myself included, if you had to make an album back then, right. Like you, you were, you either had to make like 2000 CDs or zero. Yeah. It didn't matter if you were going to sell them at a snail's pace. Right. Yeah. Now, because the bottom dropped out of that market, these and these and the technology got so cheap, yeah. the CD duplication places will bang them out oh, fifty yeah. at a pop. Yeah, um, and you can, you know, they didn't have to take your business back yeah. then. Yeah. They weren't they weren't going to be bothered right. setting up their machines. Yeah, your crap. I know. Now they will. Yeah. So if you if you are aware of what it means to work to scale, right. um, I haven't. None of my projects has lost money on a release since the record industry supposedly collapsed. Right. Right. They usually make their money back within right. like two or three days right. of being out yeah. because the overhead is so low now. Yeah, at this and, point. and I'm not dumb enough to run off thousands and thousands right. of copies. Yeah. I'll make 100, 200, 300 yeah. out of pop, and then if I got to make more, I'll make more. Yeah. And, um, and, and it's wonderful. Yeah. It's like the best time. Oh, yeah. I feel like it's the best time ever in the history of music to be a musician right oh, now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can distribute my stuff for free all over the world. Yeah. Um, I can, I can distribute myself for cash all over the world. Yeah. You promote yourself for free. I can record media very and... cheaply. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah. It's such a good time. Definitely. Yeah. It's such a good time. Yeah. And um, you said you, you there's a story you were gonna go back to on the hidden. I don't uh, remember. I don't remember what we were saying. Oh say, yeah. But... So the hidden ended. Yeah. Okay. Um, it ended, there were parts of our lives that were making it harder and harder to even get together for anything. Right. I lived in Lowell. Right. Mario lived in New Bedford. Mm -hmm. I relied on public transportation to go everywhere because right. I was like out of my mind. Yeah. I didn't have a car. I didn't want one. Dan and Tanya lived, well, Dan lived in Boston. Right. His wife, Tanya, our drummer, yeah. had decided to go back to school. Oh, right. At, in Ithaca at yeah, Cornell yeah I remember that so she would come home and play drums for us yeah. which meant that we'd have to get her back up to speed right it also meant we couldn't write while she was away which she was in school full time right so in the meantime we had a, we had other people play drums for us mm. which required getting them up to speed with right. our set or Dan would play drums and we'd right. have one guitar which also meant we weren't really like firing right so for the last two years we were together we didn't write a single new song yeah that in itself was just bad yeah um and then it got to the point where like even that dynamic was just sort of like 
there was no communication. Right. Um, there was a show that was booked that Mario and I didn't like know about. Right. And, and we got a call from the rest of the band. We're out in Western Mass. Like, where are you guys? Right. Stuff like that. Yeah. Right. Um, so that was the end of that. Right. And I'm thinking to myself, that's fine. Right. I'm kind of like, this is the time for this to stop. Yeah. And we'll take the momentum that we have yeah. and just parlay it into something new. Yeah. So my friend Alex had been in Beyond the Embrace mm -hmm. and they had just broken up and they were like a metal blade band and right. touring all over the place. Oh, yeah, and yeah. I'm like, those guys in the metal scene, which is like a total different universe for me, right. they had a lot of momentum. Mm -hmm. Alex and I had always talked about doing something. Yeah. Alex and I will start a band. We'll bring in Mario on bass from the Hidden and Gaskill. And then Craig Fleming from, from Gaskill right. said, I want to play music again. He jumped in. We got a drummer. And I'm like, this is going to be sick. People right. are going to, people even, won't even hear us and they're going to be interested. Right. Nothing could have been further from the truth. <laughs> Nobody cared. Yeah. What was Nobody this cared. Called? Iron Oak. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and it was like, it was like suddenly I, no one even, like I couldn't get the time of day. Right. Like I couldn't get a show. Yeah. Nothing. And, um, now granted, like we weren't the best band, right? but I still thought like this, the time that we've invested, right. Shouldn't all be lost to yeah. move on to a new project. Right. And yet suddenly, whereas the hidden could do no wrong, right. it was like, you know, Iron Oak couldn't get a parking ticket right. in Boston, yeah. you know? And... That also, as time went on, I was like, you know, and I would see other bands too. Like I would see other bands and I'm like, that band is phenomenal. Right. Phenomenal. Nobody cares. Right. Nobody cares. Yeah. They'll make an amazing record. Nobody's going to care. Right. And they're not doing anything wrong. Right. They're doing all, everything yeah. right. Yeah. Nobody cares. And then there would be another band that this huge buzz about them. Right. They would play and I'm like, and everybody's there and everybody's going crazy. And I'm like, that band's not good. Right. Yeah. They're not good. Yeah. And it's not that they're not my cup of tea. They're yes, not, not good. good. Right. And that also, although I had already had these thoughts about, you know, sort of the ritual of things, I'm like, clearly it's because that's irrelevant. Right. That's irrelevant. Yeah. Like music and especially rock and roll and pop music in the context of what I was talking about is not a meritocracy. Right. You're going to fill the needs of people on some deeper level or you're not and it has nothing the music is a might not even be a factor at all right. frankly yeah it might have nothing to do with it right it could be the right time the right place mm -hmm. the way someone was standing that day right. the way the wind blew yeah. whatever it was right. and i had been the um benefactor of that in right. the hidden yeah because although we were a good band it felt like we could do no wrong and right. opportunities often fell into our laps. Yeah. Um, I was very grateful for them. Right. But in retrospect, were they all like, like earned? Right. I don't know. Right. You know what I mean? I don't think so. Yeah. And then I, I was in a band where it was like, okay, we were a deeply flawed band. There right. was, a, there was way too much partying going on in that band. Right. However, there was some really good players, yeah. some good songwriting going on and us, we we're established musicians. Yeah. Nobody cared. Right. And so then I had been on both sides of it. Yeah. And having known that, knowing that now is also somewhat liberating. Yeah. 
because as much as um, not being in it for careerist reasons right. is uh, liberating, so is the fact that you you shouldn't um, measure your success by the response you get or don't get because yeah. you know you're doing these things for different reasons and you shouldn't like lose the plot yeah of course like keep keep your head on what, yeah. why are you doing this right. again you know what I mean yeah um, and uh, so that that was a good experience yeah. even though it was a terrible experience right. it was frustrating too for you because you put a lot into writing lyrics yeah and then to not have them yeah at least spread out there yeah it Unless, is you know what I mean and this it's it can that can be really tough except for the fact that you know that like um, you put that wouldn't mean that you would write terrible right. stuff. Yeah, you, you, know what I mean? you put the same energy yeah, into it that you put to. into. And and there and, and uh, it's not your fault. Right. You know what I mean, it is what it is. Right. And you know, I've never. I've also been um, in the same social circle. I'll say, uh, at times in my life, with bands that very much. Um, enjoyed the hustle right and it was like um, they like to know the right people right they want to tour constantly right um, and that's how they measured whether or not they were a real band or not. right yeah. and for them the music and what they were saying yeah that was like barely in the equation right. yeah um, they this one band that I w will go nameless but um, let's say they're a hypothetical band mm -hmm. they recorded an album right the lineup had changed so much there was only one member from right. that album that they recorded yeah. they hadn't written any new material and were touring constantly constantly right. constantly year round to promote this one album right that every place they were touring to had already bought this album right but for them it was like that's our validation as being right. on the road right and 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 if that's what you want god god right. bless you but it's nothing to do with right. what I want to do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I didn't, I never wanted to like play music so that I could like be a, a traveling salesman. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I want to, I want to make something the best that I can. And, um, if somebody else wants to sell it, go right ahead. Right. Um, I, you know, I, I want to make things mm -hmm. and I'm not into it. Like, like I was never like someday I'm going to have a band. Right. And I can't, I'm going to email clubs and it's going to be, you know, I'm going to like, I'm going to, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to just uh, harass clubs to like, let me play. I'm going <laughs> to yeah, sleep on strangers' couches and right. it's going to be great. Yeah. You know? Play Tuesday night in the middle of January. And... Yeah. And it's not, it's never been why I want to do anything. Right. So Iron Oak uh, was done and at the same time I was doing Iron Oak, that was like my like bad mojo band. Right. Um, heavy partying going on mm -hmm. to the point where we were never going to be able to get a right. real record together. Yeah, right. It was like bad news. Mm -hmm. And the band blew apart for yeah. that. And luckily, everybody was okay after yeah. some years. Yeah. Um, I had a good energy band at the same time mm -hmm. uh, called the Judo Airs, yeah. which were some guys that I had known from playing hardcore okay. and going to hardcore shows for a long time. And it was like positive, melodic, very DC sounding. Yeah. Um, you know, like embrace, Dagnasty, Rites of Spring okay. type stuff. Mm -hmm. um, 
And, um, but it's funny because as much as I always listened to that and went to those shows, back in the day, like, I never, no one would ever ask me to sing for a band like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, But now they wanted me to. And it was great. Because for me, like, that was a lot, in many ways, a lot closer to what I grew up listening to than any any of my other bands have been. Um, So I had this, like, negative energy band at the same time I had this positive energy band. Um, That band, uh, a couple of the guys, um, you know, it's tough because we're like, we're not kids. Right. And when you're an older guy who's like a straight edge guy. Right. Eventually, like playing in bars is probably not going to drive the last us to the wall. Do, yeah. Especially with, if there are guys in the bands who like, like Hard being in bars. Edge. Right. So, you know, it was another situation where a couple of guys just kind of walked without any notice. Right. And it left us high and dry. And yeah. we're all doing other things. Right. Um, so I, uh, at that point, I had been reading, um, it was the Miles Davis autobiography. Oh, just the one called Miles. Miles. Yeah. yeah that's, that's amazing. Unhinged. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I kind of liked, like, you know, the jazz guys, it's like, they don't think of bands. Right. They're just like, oh, I'm going to play with this group of dudes. Yeah. And, like, they'll put out a record and it'll just be like, you know, live at the such and such. Club. Right. And yeah. whoever was on the record was whoever they yeah. were playing Who with, like, it? that month that or whatever. Way, yeah. And, and they would just call people up and be yeah. like, yeah, like, come play drums with me. Right. The piano player is some guy you've never met, but he's good. Right. Don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah. You guys will be fine. Right. And I was like, you know, nobody makes bands like that. It's right. always, like, friends. Like, yeah. And I'm like, I want to make a band like that. Right. I want to have a band of basses. Right. And I'm just going to call up all my favorite bass players that I know. Right. And I know the dude who I want to play drums. And most of these guys don't know each other. And we're going to have a band. Yeah. And so that was Black House. Yeah. Um, a lot of people told me it wasn't going to work. Yeah. That it was just going to sound like hell. But the basis that I asked, um, I asked with their tone in mind, like mm-hmm. thinking it would work. Right. And it worked great. It was um, probably the most um, like interesting band. Yeah. Um, it was like everything that I kind of hoped it would be. Right. The guys really clicked and everything, but um, it was a combination of one guy having health issues mm-hmm. and had to take a significant uh, break off um, of, of practice and playing um, to deal with that. Combined with, um, you know, Tim was really busy with White Dynamite and right. uh, and and Road Saw off and mm-hmm. on, and then when finally uh, the stars had aligned to get back together, we had one practice and then lost our practice space. Oh, and they threw all the bands out of the mill, and right. it was like, all right, guys, this is done. Yeah. You know? Um. So at that point, what did I do at that point? Oh, Gaskill again. Yeah. yeah, you guys. So I I was like I had kept trying to put together very heavy bands and then right. one day I was like, I keep trying to basically put Gaskill back together, but right. I don't want to say that's what I'm doing. Right. Why and that's what Iron Rope really was. Right. So why don't I just do that? Yeah. And our drummer who had left had moved to Japan years ago, right after he left pretty much. Yeah. And um 
So we made a, I had a drummer in mind. Right. We asked him, he said yes. Um, he showed up with, he had written out sheet music for all of our songs on really? drums and at oh, a stand wow. and played them perfect. Yeah. First run, every single song. Wow. And um, it was like, that was it, it's done. Yeah. So uh, we made a record with him. It came out uh, really great. Um, just as heavy as we ever were. Yeah. Um, we were better musicians at that point because we were older. Yeah. Um, then we did a, uh, this idea was floated around for a night where um, original bands would, what was the theme of this? I think it was original bands would play a, an album or something, somebody yeah. else's album. Right. So we did, we learned on the My War album. Right. And we brought in a second guitarist who could handle all the leads. Yeah. And our friend Brian uh, Cass, who had uh, played the same show, he had a studio and was like, why don't you guys come record that? Right. While it's all fresh and don't, we'll work out the payment later. Right. So we recorded it. Yeah. And um, I was really, really happy with that. Yeah. Um, so we recorded basically our first uh, comeback album and the our we call it our war right um, simultaneously yeah and uh, then that drummer moved away we replaced him with another drummer and uh, wrote and recorded an EP mm -hmm. and um, started getting a lot more um, Boston shows which our first run around we never played Boston very much yeah. just a handful of times right um, but our our drummer at that point always needed like extended times off. He was in school and working. Yeah. And I've always been like, I'd rather take six months off than break up a band. Yeah. But it got to the point where he just couldn't anymore. Right. So we've been on hiatus um, since around Thanksgiving. Yeah. Um, in theory, we will be getting back together again. Yeah. yeah. I'm not super worried about it. <laughs> I kind of look at I look at bands like it's like you might you might be a car guy and have a bunch of cars right but you probably only have one or two of them on the road right like registered and right insured that doesn't mean that the other ones you couldn't put back on the road yeah, right so that's how I've always looked at it I've always thought it was really weird when bands like break up right right like that's almost never happened to me like yeah. an official announcement right our show this will be our final right. show <laughs> yeah you know, due to, you know, like we cannot continue right. with each other. Yeah, it's like weird to me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think, well, Fugazi never officially did. And no. I don't no. think the police ever, that was another one. I, think I mean, I can never... understand why you might want to, right, but it right. would have to be something awful. And yeah. Luckily, that's never happened yeah, to me. Yeah. You know? um, so, I mean, there are bands where it's highly unlikely we'll ever work together right. again. Yeah. Uh, but just, just because of logistics, not yeah. because like, right. you know, you ruined my life right. or something crazy. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, then I um, I also had a, I also had a band back in the Gaskill days called Exposed Human Sharks. Yeah, that I did at the same time as, as Gaskill. Right. I had been trying to get um, Tom Poitras, who had been in the Gluons and was one of the sound guys at the New Wave. Right. I kept telling him to form a punk band. Yeah. Like, dude, you got to come come back out. Yeah. Of, like punk retirement. Right. He's like, and like Tom's like kind of like, like almost like a hippie type guy. Yeah. And he's like, well, 
I'll do it if you sing. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, Tom, let's do right. it. You know, and it became like this, like it's a weird sound. Um, yeah. Very, very cool. Um, again, one of the more interesting bands. Yeah. Um, very somewhat like Middle Eastern mm-hmm. sounding. Um, a little Pixies-esque at times. Um, we write really quickly together, but we never had a set lineup for our backing band. Right. I always had uh, Gaskill at the time. Tom was having like babies at the time. Right. And uh, so it kind of went to pieces. And we never really, we never did the songs justice. Like we recorded a demo, but never like, never played beyond like the new wave or anything. Right. so I booked um, last year I booked a run of uh, I guess it was three consecutive shows and we did um, we did Providence and New Bedford and Boston Mm -hmm. of just exposed human sharks shows and it was um, a lot of fun and uh, we got some good recordings of it and but there's there's a case in point of like that band was mothballed for like 18 years or something yeah. and then it's like let's just do some shows yeah and it shouldn't be like a big deal right yeah exactly. you know what i mean like yeah yeah you're just getting together and yeah and it was playing. it was awesome and the song we did the songs better we were better much better than we used to be right and uh at the same time i ran into um my old friend ryan parker yeah um who had played in third age he also played in um some kind of hate um yeah. the jaded salingers oh, yeah. and he had played uh he had an experimental band with um, Jacob Bannon. It was like Super Machiner, I think. Oh, yeah. Um, it was just the two of them. Right. But he was one of my friends from like way back. Okay. And uh, we had always talked over the years of doing something, but mm. it was never right. Like right. the time was always bad. Yeah. Um, so I ran into him at an open studio. We each had like our kids and like walking around randomly yeah. ran into each other. And I was like, Ryan, you know, like, let me get your phone number. Like we should try to like do something yeah. finally. And he's like, he was like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm busy, but no, we have to do this. We have to do right. this. So, um, he contacted Jeremy Medeiros who had been in third age with him back then. Right. He had been in ITI. He was also in bury the needle oh, yeah. and he was in, um, slow death recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I've known him from way back. Right. And then I had uh, my friend Ted Ilsley. He had played drums in Blues Bastard. Mm-hmm. Um, he had been in a bunch of bands, had recently agreed to be the next drummer for Gaskill, although we haven't gotten together. Right. And um, he'd been playing for my stupid um, Misfits uh, oh, yeah, cover that band Misfits. that I do, yeah. um, which is like a joke band. Right. Uh, but he's amazing. Yeah. But he, you know, he had lived out in California. He had played drums in a band called Villainer that okay. I had almost sung for. They were like kind of an instrumental band right. in Providence. Um, sick, sick drummer. Yeah. And I I roped him in. He didn't really know those other two guys. Right. Uh, that That's what I've been doing for the past like two and a half months. Okay. And it's it's going super well. Um, wire lines? Is it? Yeah, wire yeah. lines. Yeah. It's... Uh, like Fugazi slash Husker Du slash like maybe like Eye Against Eye Bad Brains yeah um, nice melodic at times it's like I don't know it's all over the place we have yeah. a song that like you'd swear is like a Cro-Mag song oh yeah and then we have other songs where it's like borderline like Firehose or yeah. something 
Yeah. Um, so we're trying to like kind of leave our options open, but we're we're due to go record in like a week and a half. Yeah. We have about oh, nice. Six songs ready, and hopefully playing shows really soon. Yeah. Uh, I think we're all really um, pleased with it. Yeah. It's been just. Uh, really I'm, I'm i couldn't be happier to finally be working with these yeah, guys right i've always wanted to work with yeah our chemistry is really good and we're we had to like force ourselves to stop writing songs because oh, yeah. we're easily writing a new song from start to finish uh every single practice oh nice so it's like oh we gotta we gotta slow, <laughs> slow down we just gotta slow down yeah how, how do you feel about writing lyrics nowadays you, you... um i i feel like i'm um you know it's <sighs> It's um, it's become a weird thing for me because I've been doing it for so long now. Right. And I, I just, I, one of the things that I'll do is if I don't have a project, like if I don't have a song I need to write vocals for, right. I, I will not write. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I feel like that helps me so that when the time comes to write, I don't struggle. Right. Even if it's like I've got two bands at a time and we're they're both banging out songs, right. I can do it. Um, and I also. I feel like it's really important to keep my mind active. So I'm always uh, reading books, right. watching movies. I feel like all of that stuff is sort of fuel. And then gets pulled into... Yeah, it's like it keeps... If my mind stays busy with new ideas that are things that are new to me, Yeah, I always have new things to write about. Yeah, And where in the past when I was younger... I, it might take me days of going over and writing drafts and totally scrapping a song coming back right. to now when I write I'll it will take me like honestly like maybe maybe like 15 minutes right yeah and it's not because it, it takes me that long to figure it out it's just that like 95% of that work I'm doing all the time right. in my head yeah, all the time yeah. when I'm driving when I'm eating when right. I'm doing whatever yeah. like the process is always going on so you know write, writing down the final thing becomes uh, a formality yeah. and it's also been a thing where I feel I approach a song as though the song is done mm -hmm. when I get it and there's no vocals to it. Right. The song is done, but like the vocals have been deleted right. and I need to just replace them mm -hmm. and put them back in. So I look at it as like this song is finished right. and there's, there's a, there's a, there are vocals and lyrics for this. I just need to listen and not screw up copying it down right and so it becomes more of like a translation mm -hmm. um or like a court stenographer job right. than anything that requires a lot of heavy lifting on my right. part um that doesn't mean that i can't screw up that part. right has, has your has your process always been having like a song for the the, the music first and then writing around it it's yeah. easier for you yeah um because I feel like my job as a, as like a good singer, not that I'm a good singer, but my the in order to be a good singer, you need to cater what you're doing to the job. Right. It should be custom to the job. Yeah. Um, you shouldn't be 
and I know some people do this and to are, are largely successful sometimes, but I feel like ideally it's a bad, um, it's a bad work habit to try to write separately mm -hmm. and then mash it into somebody's piece of music. Right. Like what you write should be, um, you know, you're, you're writing to that piece. Yeah. Right. And if you, if you force it the other way, I, I don't think that it's, I don't think it's very re like respectful to that yeah. piece of music. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a, it's a, a cobbled together thing. Yeah. You know, it ends up like half, half alligator and half right. crocodile. Yeah. How, how do you, do you like approaching, uh, covering like, cause so the, my, the, my war mm -hmm. record, I love that you guys did because I think you guys definitely put your own kind of twist on it so that's yeah. cool have you, do you enjoy doing covers um yes and no yeah it's a slippery slope yeah. I, I I super enjoy it um on some levels but I feel like especially as an older musician it can be a black hole yeah like guys will just get sucked into like cover land yeah they just want to do that it's easier to do it yeah. requires less time right. invested it has a um, quicker uh, uh, it's easier to get people to pay attention and like it yeah. because it's familiar territory yeah. um, so it's kind of a cop out Yeah. Um, so it becomes as you get older and frustrated possibly with trying to hammer away with your own stuff it gets more and more tempting yeah. to just go that route right. um, so like I have that horror business band which mm -hmm. some friends of mine in New Bedford were like Hey, Halloween, we're going to play Misfit songs. Nobody's dressing up. Right. We're going to have three people on guitar. Right. It's going to, we'll maybe practice. Right. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. And it was a bloodbath and it was awesome. Right. And then we did it a bunch more times. And as great as it is, there's always part of me that thinks, um, you know, all you guys in the crowd, Where, where are, like, would you have been there to see the Misfits right. in 1982? Right, right. I'm not so sure. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right, right. Like, mm -hmm. you're, you guys are guys going to see cover bands. Right. And as much as you think we're doing awesome and like, and like you're going nuts for us, you, like I feel, you know, you end up feeling like it's like depressing on some right. levels. Like it's somebody else's thing. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, um, as good a job as we do with it and as fun as much fun as we have it's some it's somebody else's thing right and um you know you go back to doing your own thing that sometimes you feel like it's way better yeah and those people are nowhere to be seen yeah i i would rather play in front of like six people right my own music yeah than 150 people right. going nuts right and you know, it's the misfits or something. Yeah, right. But anyway, that black flag thing, yeah. that was cool to do for that one night. And then to be able to record it right. without like any overhead yeah. was awesome. And for me, like I've lo always loved that record, mm -hmm. but part of like what I think about black flag is that they were like a, a cursed, they always had this dark cloud over all of their records yeah. because, um, with the exception of the first few, right. Because, Damaged was written for a four-piece band, but suddenly had five guys on it. Right. And they didn't really have 
songs that did justice to having two guitars on them. Right. Then they wrote three albums worth of material as a five-piece band yeah. with two guitars and were court-ordered to not record them yeah. as a five-piece band. And by the time that order was lifted, they had played with their, in my opinion, their greatest lineup, yeah. wrote all these songs with, and played but could not record. Right. And by the time they were allowed to record, all these other guys had given up. Yeah, Dukowski was They, going they lost Chuck Biscuits, yeah. who was their best drummer, I yeah. think. They Dez on second guitar yeah. flaked out into the DC3. Yeah. Um, I think Greg um, was concerned about how much impact Dukowski had on a lot of those songs right. and didn't want to sort of share that yeah. um, and was gone yeah. to the point where they recorded My War is a three-piece yeah. that had been written as a five-piece. Yeah. Um, and the production on it is uh, horrifically bad. Yeah. Um, and the songs are so ahead of their time and yeah. just extreme. I mean, the, the second side of that album is just, um, it's hard to even put into words what's right. going on there. It, it is a prime example of something that's, that I love that's difficult to listen to. Yeah. It's hard to sit through oh, that. Yeah. Um, and through no fault of the record, right. it's just an, a very visceral thing yeah. to try to sit through that. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> and it took a lot of courage, I think, to, to, to do that. Yeah. So I wanted to try to record a cover of the whole album as faithfully as we could without like forcing the issue. Yeah. But with the two guitars, yeah. playing two guitar parts, yeah. with a decent um, studio, decent yeah. production. Um, because I felt like not that we could do it any better than right. the My War album or the or than the 82 demos, right. but I still felt like at least we can have the songs recorded in a pro studio with two guitars um, and with like a decent mix. Yeah. And like it still will, like that still has to happen with oh, these yeah. things. Yeah. It would be wonderful if, like, off did it. Right. I mean, not off. I'm a flag. Off, if yeah, flag did yeah, it. Yeah, flag. You yeah. know what I mean? Right. Um, that'll never happen. Right. But I was just like, let's let's do it. We'll yeah. do the whole album start to finish. Yeah. But in the style of those 82 demos. Yeah. But with the production of, like, an actual studio and yeah. not, like, right. whatever that was going on. Yeah. So for me, it was, like, a labor of love. And, like, I truly wanted it to be, like... Um, like I love this record and we love these songs and um, let's let's try to do our best by Celebrate these songs. Them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, it was really hard. Um, it was hard to physically sing them. Yeah, it's just so different than like what I was doing. Yeah, and I wanted I I wanted it. I didn't want to do my thing. Right, like I wanted to be somewhat faithful. Right. Um, but um, Henry Rollins at um, 22 years old is not Kevin Grant at 41 right. years old. Yeah. Um, I ended up doing, I did the scratch vocals while they recorded yeah. at full volume. Mm -hmm. And then I recorded main vocals for all the songs. And then we went back and we erased them and I, I re-recorded them all again. Oh, right. um, and then I went back and did my backing vocals over them yeah. only because it took that long 
for my voice to be broken in enough right. to, to have it sound like inside, what right. I want, where I wanted it to be. Yeah. Um, but it was like a physically brutal. Right. It was a hard thing to do. Yeah. Has um, Has there been any feedback from anyone that from Black Flag or? I talked to um, Dukowski a little bit. Yeah. Um, ahead of time. Yeah. Um, because I wanted to. I have zero experience with recording covers. Right. And we wanted to sell it. Yeah. And I wanted to do, I wanted to make sure that like we legally were doing things right. It's right. A, it's a simple thing to do, but I didn't realize right. that. Um, so I talked to him a little bit and he was like super psyched. I talked to him via like social media, you know yeah. what I mean? Right. Super nice. Gave a lot of insight yeah. um, into his um writing of the what is where he was coming from with some of the material yeah um and i was trying to get in touch with greg Ginn. right um it's probably a blessing in disguise that i never got in touch right with him. yeah i talked to um rollins about it yeah just trying to get contact info right um and he he at least steered me in the direction where he's like, well, legally, you don't you don't have to talk to him. Right. He's like, here's what you do, and yeah. he'll, he'll get his money, and he can't right. even stop it. And right. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I spoke to um, Mike Vallely. Oh, really? Who's currently singing for yeah. them, and is technically their the manager. manager. right? And it's funny because he was like, he's like, well, what? at least what he claimed was that. He claimed, he's like, I, I don't really have a contact info for him. <laughs> he's like, I haven't spoken to him in a long time. Yeah. And uh, right. this was when they, I think they are, they're active again now right. for whatever that's worth. But, right. uh, um, and uh, I think that was, I think that's, those are the people that I spoke yeah, to. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they were talking about it on the, uh, that Mojack, uh, the podcast. Yeah, uh, I, I found I found out that they had mentioned it um, yeah. like months after the fact. Yeah, yeah, uh, which was which was very cool. Yeah, um, I've, you know, it's out there. I I didn't. Again, it's kind of weird. Like, I don't. A, I don't want people to think I'm like this cover, cover guy. band guy. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. B, there's only so much that I want to promote a thing of covers that I did. Right. Like it could be seen as like a kind of like parasitic move. Yeah. And I, I hadn't even heard of that until I, and I, I, you know, I've known your bands and yeah, that's when I heard what was on that podcast. And I was like, Oh wow. I, uh, these guys are from here. If anyone um, is wondering, I, I actually pulled, I pulled them off. They were up on like iTunes and Spotify, yeah. et cetera. And I pulled them down because you do have to pay yearly um, licensing fees. Right. And I was paying more than we were bringing in right. all these songs. Yeah. So if anyone thinks that we're like getting right. rich off of like, right. Uh, <laughs> right. off of uh, Greg Ginn's uh, right. solo work on yeah. uh, Three Nights. <laughs> yeah. So you can still get them on Bandcamp. Um, yeah. A label that we are somewhat involved with technically has it up. Nice. And you can get it for free if you buy our end of the world album um, via Bandcamp. Yeah, the uh, Black Flag album is there as a download. Nice. And and one other SST related thing was there's a uh, 
video going around of uh, you you had sang with a, our mutual friends Nor- northern skies oh, yeah, doing yeah. uh who should yeah. do that was, that was really good i'm I super excited that. uh that song is on um their soon to be released album oh right um so i've known jonah since the hidden started because yeah. we were on track to seven with our first um ep yeah um out of all of his bands, I wasn't super familiar with um, Only Living Witness or mm-hmm. Milltown. Okay. I knew of Only Living Witness. I probably saw them uh, at like Hardcore Fest a couple of times. Right. But I wasn't, um, it wasn't exactly the same circle yeah. um, of bands that I was in. And however, when he was interested in The Hidden, um, I heard the Milligram album. Uh, this is class war yeah and that's an album that's tough to listen to yeah yeah and but then when you get once you wrap your head around oh yeah and like figure out there's nothing wrong with your stereo yeah Yeah, that one took me a while then it's like wait a minute yeah this is like that's an intense record yeah i absolutely that's one of my like forget about favorite local albums that i would put that album up there with just about anything yeah favorite albums yeah perfect record oh yeah it's a perfect record. Yeah. The playing on it, the lyrics on it, the yeah. singing on it, the weird production on yeah. it, the songs, everything on that is yeah. it's a perfect album. Definitely. Um, so uh, Jonah, um, I was on a train for work. I was going down to New Jersey. I just spent some time in New Jersey for work. Yeah. And um, I, had, I was killing time on my computer, and Jonah messaged me and was like, yeah, I have this new band. I want you to check this out. Just yeah. don't share it with anybody. Right. Here's a song. And I was like, um, I was like, man, this is this is like yeah. really good. Yeah, yeah. And not what I expected because, right. you know, he he had been a guy who, in a way that I respect um, and try to be conscious of myself, has been getting like heavier as years go exactly. by. Exactly. Yeah, we talk about that in, in music. You yeah. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, and uh, and then the song he gave me, the Northern Skulls, was like, um. I mean, it's it's unbelievably catchy and melodic. Yeah. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? It is like. So he he sent that to me, and and I was like, wow, man, this is amazing. And he's like, well, I'd like you to come into the studio with us when we record and do some uh, do some vocals on it. I was like, you'd give me the the time of the day, man. Yeah. I'm there. Yeah. And uh, and because I've, you know, I feel like, um. I feel like Jonah and I as singers have a lot in common yeah. and we get, a, we get along really well yeah. um, on, on lots of levels. But I think he and I are coming from a, a very similar places as far as how we approach um, songs and songwriting yeah. and lyrics and stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was just super happy and, yeah. and really um, I was like flattered to be asked. Yeah. And, uh, and so I went in. I, I went in not knowing what I was going to be doing. Right. I just had the date and I showed up at the studio. Yeah. And um, that's when I met the, the rest of those guys. Yeah. And uh, and Jonah's like, yeah, can you sing like this song, this song, and this song? <laughs> and I heard them all for the first time. Yeah. Um, I was only vaguely familiar with that Oscar Du song. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I I did them um, and I they seemed to be really happy with it. So then I played uh, with them at their first two shows the yeah. first show was at O'Brien's the second one was at the Sinclair right um and um and um the record's six songs mm-hmm. uh it's I believe it's at the plant now yeah 
Um, I'm on two of the songs on the record, but I've been doing like three songs live with them. Nice. Um, I'm hoping that their record and the Wirelines recording will probably come out around the same time. Cause yeah. I'd love, I think the two bands will work really well and yeah. I, I'd love to, um, uh, trade shows with those guys. So oh, yeah. I, I get along really well with those guys. And yeah. I, I think they're, um, a really exciting band. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I always yeah. feel weird when, you know, if, if somebody was like, Oh, what are you listening to now for new bands? It's right. like, well, <laughs> there's the Northern skulls, but it's like, they, all those guys have been around for a long uh, yeah. time. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like, it's a new band and new right. music, but yeah, it's guys know, that are veterans, like veterans. You know yeah, what I mean? yeah. You can tell like all, all you guys are yeah, yeah, around and so that's cool, man. I I definitely will wind it down. Oh yeah, and yeah. Uh, it's felt like a three hour, <laughs> two hours, but that's fine. Uh, it works for me. Cool. Uh, thank you for coming down here. Oh, thank you very much. And uh, yeah, cool. And yeah, so the the band is Wirelines. Wirelines, yep. Band. Yep. And uh, yeah, thanks, man. All right, I appreciate it. Yeah.